So before I get started, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about men's study. Saturday, 8 o'clock, we're going to be talking about living life on purpose. Men, being intentional about how we live our life. Am I, like, all messed up? We want people to hear you online, so you're good. Okay. All right. All right. So, where was I? <laughs> So, so this study, I, I'm excited about it. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians. And, you know, this is one of the um, books Paul wrote that really is a very practical book. And I know, I mean, I, I was in this corporate world for a long time, and I know what it's like to get up and go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning and come home late, and Saturday is a day that you get to sleep in. And so, you know, you give money through Friday to the world. Can't you give Saturday morning to God? Huh? I'll tell you what. We get done at 9.30, 10 o'clock, go home, take a nap. You have my permission. Just tell your wife, Dave said I can take a nap. Okay? And sleep till 3, 4, whatever you need to do. But be here Saturday morning. Okay? Isn't God good? I love life. You know, I can remember um, early in my marriage, you know, I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because First of all, somehow I caught Marge into marrying me, which is, which is really a miraculous feat in and of itself. But Marge, um, she grew up with a really cool life. I mean, her dad always had a boat, so she grew up water skiing and fishing and going to the lakes and doing all that kind of stuff. And so I kind of got to marry into that, which is really awesome. Um, and our kids grew up in that environment, so they just grew up in the water. They, they just grew up swimming. Um, they were just fish all the time. And I can remember when Janelle, our oldest daughter, was probably four or five. Marge, Marge always liked to fish. I really wasn't all that much of a fisher guy, um, but she loved to fish. Her mom loved to fish. And so she bought Janelle this, this um, little Snoopy fishing pole. It's about this long. So Marge would be fishing off the back of like her dad's pontoon boat, and Janelle would have this little Snoopy fishing pole. And I'd be laying in the front reading a magazine or a book or something. Well, we were, we were pulled up on the beach one of these uh, afternoons, and, you know, we're all kind of sitting on the boat talking and stuff, and we noticed Janelle running at us with this terrified look on her face, and she's got her Snoopy pole, and it's behind her, and she's going like this, and then she looks back, and then she does this again, and we go, what the heck's going on? Well, she had caught like a, a, a bluegill about this big <laughs> on that Snoopy pole, and, and it was following her as she was running away from it. And she was terrified. Not only that, all the other bluegills were following it too. So she had this whole school of fish chasing her down the beach as she's running away from them. And like good parents, we just started laughing. <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the world. Um, and, and, and like any good dad, I grabbed her and picked her up, gave Marge the fishing pole with the bluegill on it, and... I don't know what she did with that fish, but I'm sure she took care of it. So Janelle kind of had a little bit of a traumatic experience with bluegill when she was early on in her life, which we didn't pay a lot of attention to. And, you know, as parents, um, you know, we did some stuff. We kind of helped out with, uh, you know, one of her nieces, and she came and lived with us for a while and did a lot of the time on the lake with us and stuff. And what we didn't realize is that this devious niece of Marge's... Um, <laughs> was telling Janelle that the that Lake Havasu had piranha in it. <laughs> and so, so Janelle kind of had this, this perception about this lake that it really wasn't all that safe because it had piranha in it. Well, she was probably a junior or senior in high school. 
And her younger sister, or daughter, yeah, sister, whatever she was, Anne, um, and, and Janelle and I were, you know, just hanging out in the water. So we decided to swim over to the shore because there's something floating over there and we want to check it out. So we swam over there. We're probably 10 or 15 feet from the shore. And, you know, bluegill are interesting fish because I don't know what they like, salt or something on our body, but they'll just kind of hit, hit your leg. And they just, it's like a pinch. You can just feel it. They just, their little teeny teeth, just, just, you can feel it. Well, we're in the water and one of the, a bluegill hit Janelle's leg. And all of a sudden, Janelle goes, I go, what? Then it hit her again, and she absolutely, she knew that every piranha in Lake Havasu was going to eat her. I don't know if she hit Anne with her arm, her head, or what. She chipped Anne's tooth, and then she proceeded to climb on top of me to get out of the water. So I'm like three feet under the water. She's standing on my shoulder screaming. She realized I am not getting her out of the water because she's still this deep in the water. So she abandons that plan. She swam on the high school swim team. I know she set a state record in the freestyle getting from my shoulders to the boat. And finally, she was safe with her mother on the boat. So... Um, and then, you know, I started praying death threats on my niece. But <laughs> Why did I tell you that story? Because I, I want to talk this morning about how powerful it is when we have perceptions. Because the principle is this, that, that we have perceptions. Perceptions will, will lead to self-talk that we have. And our self-talk will lead to behavior that we have. And so in Janelle's mind... Her perception was that lake had piranha in it. And as soon as that bluegill hit her legs, her self-talk was, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to get eaten alive right here in the water. And her behavior was, I have got to get out of this lake one way or another. However that happens, I really don't care. And so she used like three different vehicles and finally the last one worked. It's a powerful thing when um, we are allowing things to develop our perceptions. And perceptions are developed a lot of different ways, aren't they? I mean, we develop perceptions by how we're raised, by our parenting. We develop perceptions through our educational system and how we're educated. We develop perceptions based on our relationships as we go through life. I mean, our relationships develop a lot of perceptions that we get. Experiences, we develop a lot of perceptions, don't we? And so based on those perceptions, a lot of behavior happens. And, and so understanding that's really powerful because, like, I have a perception that if you are in the fast lane on the freeway, you should be going at least 70 miles an hour. Is that, is that valid? Yeah, yeah right? So, so when somebody gets on the freeway and they go from the first lane to the fast lane in like 13 seconds and then they're going 40 miles an hour, you know what my self-talk is? Because I get behind that person, I'm going, this person is absolute idiot. This is my ungodly self-speaking. This person's an idiot. I mean, what the heck are they thinking? And, and so, so my behavior, of course, is that, that, that I'm probably like three-quarters of an inch away from their, butt, their back bumper, right, with all kinds of ugly things as they're looking in their mirror, you know, and stuff like that. And then, then I hope they don't come into church when I'm preaching sometime. <laughs> and my message changes to grace instantly. God is so good. He saves us from our sin, you know. But that's kind of how it works because we have a perception about something, and, and the perception leads to this inner self-talk that we have, and we start talking to ourselves, and it leads to behavior. And it doesn't matter what it is. You can have a perception that snakes are really dangerous things, and if you see a snake, you just, are, you just freak out. 
Somebody else could have a perception the snakes are cool, and he walks over, picks up the snake, and what's your problem? Yeah, it tastes like chicken. So, so it's just, it just depends. And the, and the challenge is, is when the perception is based on a lie and somebody tells you there's piranha in the lake, your self-talk and behavior is dangerous. And so, so the challenge for us as people is who is feeding us our reality? Who's feeding the stuff that begins to determine what our, what our perceptions are and the things that begin to drive how, what our behavior is. It's a powerful thing. And, and it's, it, it, it's just amazing how it works. Because let, let, me, let, me, let me just ask you guys a little bit of question, a little, get, see, see how, how much you guys understand some of this stuff. How, how fast, how many words per minute do you think the average person can speak? Yeah, I'm coffee or off a of coffee. 200? Over or under? Come on. Under, how much? 105. Over or under? We got 105 and 200. 35. 255. The average person can speak 150 words per minute. Okay? You said that? Why did you say it out loud? Oh, you did? Oh, did, did you hear her say that, Marge? Okay, you did not. <laughs> okay, so we can speak 150 words per minute. How many words per minute can we hear? Three. <laughs> not listen. Not listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there a football game on or is there not a football game on? 700 words per minute we can hear. How many? Up, up, over and under. What? Under? How many? 50. She, she says 50. Come on, you can tell me how many. How many? 75. So we can speak 150. We can hear 450 words per minute. Yeah. But listen, doesn't that make sense? So I'm talking to Ricky. And, it's, and we're having a conversation, and Marilyn says something. You know what happens? I have no idea what Ricky just said the last 30 seconds because I'm listening to Marilyn because he's only speaking 150 words a minute, and I have 300 words left that I can hear. That's why when I walk into to a room that Marge has the TV on and she's talking to me and I hear something on the TV, it's like I have no idea she's even in the room, you know? <laughs> it's easy for that to happen. And so it's easy for us to get distracted in conversations when we can hear so much more than what somebody's verbalizing, okay? Now, here, I'm saying all that to say this. How many words per minute can the average person think? Thousand. Uh, over or under? Over. How many? How many? Thousand. Let's do English for this, this class. 4,000. There's a thinking man. Okay, so we can actually think 1,200 words per minute. So think about this. Have you ever heard the, 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 uh, the uh, term, you know, they just pushed my button? That's what happens. See, so what happens is something happens. We perceive it. Our mind can work at 1,200 words per minute, man. We go, bloop, bloop, and then all of a sudden we react. It can happen that fast. When our perceptions are based on things that aren't true, and we can process that at 1,200 words per minute, and we can respond or react 
we could, we could do something that's very positive of where somebody is listening to positive things, truth, that we're allowing our perceptions to be developed by truth. Our self-talk generates stuff that's based on truth and our behavior becomes a response to the truth we're processing. The challenge is so often the perceptions that we have are not based on truth. They're based on experience, they're based on lies that the enemy tells us, they're based on our culture, they're based on all kinds of other things, but not truth. And so we have stuff that comes that's not true, we process it quickly, and then we behave in a way that is contrary to what God wants us to do. That's what I want to talk about for the next uh, six weeks. It's going to be great. So how, how do we work through that? How do we begin to be people of God whose perspectives and perceptions are developed by truth. We're going to walk through and watch how, watch how God does three things. We're going to be in Exodus a lot of the time um, because, it, uh, you know, I just think it's a, it's a great book to get this principle because we see it so often of how the Israelites are driven by perceptions. And then they respond based on their perceptions. And there's three things I think that God does that helps us change our perceptions so that they're biblically-based perceptions. The first thing is, is God gives us a purpose. He helps us understand what purpose is all about. And for us as Christians, we know that the New Testament Christian, our purpose, our overriding purpose is understand that we're sinners and separated from, from Christ, and Christ came and died and rose again so that we could have a relationship with Him, and we can have a relationship eternally with the Father. Ultimately, that's the eternal purpose. But within that, God has all kinds of things that he wants to do. And so to understand God's purpose for us individually is really important. And then, then God not only gives us a, his purpose, but he also gives us some promises. And we're going to see the promises that he gives the, 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 the children of Israel as they go through the pilgrimage to the promised land. But there's a lot of promises that God gives us, isn't there? I mean, things that we just know for sure. The promise that if we confess our sins, that he is righteous to forgive us our sins, right? Is that a promise? Can we bank on that? Amen, we can bank on that. He tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. Can we bank on that? I mean, there's things that we know that he tells us that are true that we can camp on. And when our perception says God isn't there, well, if God says he will never leave us and forsake us, we go, wait a minute, then, then God has to be here. So my perception that he's not here has got to be wrong, right? And the things I'm telling myself about the fact that God's not here and this is all out of control, they have to be wrong also, right? So what I end up doing is I stop the behavior by stopping the self-talk that's wrong self-talk, and then I change a perception to a true perception. So we're, we're going to work through that, because if we don't know that God can be trusted and he gives us promises so that we can trust him in the midst of what's going on, we're in trouble, right? The third thing is, and this is the one that we as Christians really don't like, is not only does he give us his purpose, not only does he give us promises, but then he prepares us. There's preparation. I hate preparation. You know, it's like when I played basketball. Man, okay, you guys, quarter courts. Oh, but you're going to thank me in the fourth quarter, you know? So we just run until we can't stand up. But you know what? The fourth quarter, guess what? Everybody else was dying, and we were blowing up and down the court. Preparation is a lot of times the least fun part of developing that is the most critical part of developing. And so God will put us through steps of preparation. He gives us instruction. He gives us direction. He gives us experiences. All intended 
to prepare us for the future, the, the purpose he has for us. Man, that is really good news. So I say all that to say this. As we go through this, we're going to be looking at the nation of Israel. But I want us to be able to look at it through that lens and begin to apply it to ourselves. Because I believe that God made each person in this room unique to themselves. You are uniquely you. There is no other person that's created with your gifts, with your abilities, with your talent, and with your purpose. God's made you uniquely you to do what he wants you to do to fulfill his purpose. Does that make you feel good? Amen. Amen. I mean, it's a, that he would say, Dave, I made you exactly the way I want you because I have something just for you that I want you to do. And I'm going to prepare you for that. With the nation, it was specific to the nation. I want us to be able to take that and go, okay, for us, we can take that principle and apply it to ourselves. Because life is, 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 is really like this. We're here, and God wants to take us there. Do you get that? Life is really a process of being here, and God says, I want to take you here. I want to take you here. So if you're here, I want to take you there. If you're here, I want to take you there. If you're in a marriage that's, lot, that's not really all that fulfilling and exciting, I want to take you to one that really is exciting and loving and meaningful. If you're uh, somebody that, that isn't yet married, he wants to take you there where you can have a marriage that's really significant and meaningful, exciting. If you're married and you don't have kids, here, he says, I want you to have a kids and I want you to be great parents. I want you to have an awesome marriage. If you're here and you have kids and you want to be there with no kids, he goes, well, you know, sometime that will happen too and you'll be set free. <laughs> you could be here where you're somebody who always makes excuses for why things don't get done and God wants you to take you there where he gets you to be somebody who actually makes things happen, not makes excuses about what's not happening. He may want to take you from here in discouragement and despair to there where you have hope and confidence moving forward. He may take you here where you have fear, you don't know what's going on, to here where you have courage and you know God has a great plan for you. He may be taking you here where situations is unstable and you don't know what's going on, to there where the situation is stable. And you know that you're on solid foundation. He may take you from here where you feel like you're in bondage and, and you're under somebody else's control to there where you're free to walk in the liberty of what God has done in your life. He wants to take us as people from here to there. And the process of going from here to there is a process of knowing that he's got a purpose for us, he's got promises for us, and he's got preparation that he's going to do in our life that will get us here fully developed to do what he wants us to do when we get there. And if we can take on that and be excited about that process, then life becomes significant and meaningful. And we'll see with the nation of Israel how they, how they go from here to there. And in the middle of the preparation process is where they hit all the bumps and frustrations and discouragements. And I want us to learn from that. Because I believe in this church, God has great plans for us to move from here to there. Amen? Amen. He just doesn't have a plan for us to sit in here and feel good and have a kumbaya club. He wants us to be in here where we be strengthened to be a light, to get out there where there's a lot of people who need us, that we can make a difference in their life. Amen. That's eternal stuff. So that's what we're going to be covering all the next six weeks. 
while Doug is resting and relaxing and being lazy and all that stuff. So here we go. I told you we're going to be in Exodus, so let's get into Exodus. We're going to start with Exodus 1. And, and you know what? We're not going through every single verse in Exodus, okay, just so you guys can relax. I'm only, it's only a six-week series, not a six-year series, so we're okay. So Exodus 1, verse 7. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Okay, so just a little bit of history if you didn't read Genesis. The people were in Canaan. There was a famine. Um, the brothers threw Joseph in a pit over a series of events. Joseph went the pit to the palace and became the right-hand man to Pharaoh. When the sons were hungry and they needed food, they went to, to Egypt to see if they could get food. Joseph happened to be there, the right-hand man to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, you know, I can probably take care of you guys. And through a series of events, he did some stuff, and they ended up moving to Egypt and had a whole bunch of food, okay? So that's Genesis. You don't have to read the book anymore. That's kind of what happened. Okay, so, so then Joseph died. And verse 6, and all his brothers and all that generation. Now listen to this. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So think about this. They're in Egypt, and here's what's happening. They were fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied, and they became exceedingly mighty. Pretty awesome, huh? Now, if we're talking about God's purpose, let's turn real quick to Genesis. I know that I already told you everything that was in Genesis, but there is some stuff that maybe I didn't tell you. So let's turn to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. The nice thing is it's only like one book back, 30 chapters. So Genesis 12, starting with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. So are they becoming a great nation? Yeah, aren't they? They're multiplying, they're growing. That's really good. And I'm going to make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram set forth as the Lord had spoke to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Where did they set out for? Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now listen to this. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. What land? Canaan. Okay, to the Eurodescence, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. So what land did he give Abraham? Canaan, right? Where were the Israelites? Egypt. Where were they supposed to be? Ah. So were they where, 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 they where God wanted them? Ah. So why are they in Egypt? God wanted them in Canaan. Yeah, there's a famine. Is the famine still going on? Is it? 
No. They're multiplying. They're growing. They're spreading out. Here's the interesting thing. God said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this land, Canaan. Now, from a series of events that ended up in Egypt. What happened in Egypt? They started multiplying. They started prospering. They started to get comfortable. They started to like being there. We're close to the Nile. This land is fertile. We like this land. We like being here. And so they, 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 were, they were prospering, but, but, but were they where God wanted them to be? No, they weren't. So, so is, 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 is it... Is it up to God to kind of help us understand if we're not where he wants us to be, that he can maybe help us get where he wants us to be? So let's kind of look at the nation and see what happened as this goes forward. So let's go back to Genesis. Let me see. I'm going to make sure I'm in the right place here. We already did Genesis 12. So no, let's go, let's go back to Exodus. We just went in Genesis. So Exodus 1 again. I actually did study this, trust me. Exodus 1.8. So we're going to pick it up. So now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, this is pretty incredible, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were, a dre they were in dread of the sons of Israel. So the more the Egyptians tried to, to stop what God was doing, the more God did what God was doing. The more God executed his purposes, even though the Egyptians were trying to stop that from happening. And then the Egyptians compelled the, the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. So, so here we are. The, the Israelites are in Egypt. Really, that's not where God wants them to be, right? They happen to be there because of famine, and, and they got comfortable there. They began to like it there. And so even though they weren't where God wanted them to be, they liked being where they were. And so the interesting thing about God's purpose is that God does execute his purpose, because let's go back to Genesis real quick. And we're just going to read a quick passage out of Genesis 15 and kind of see um, what God's purpose is for the people and, and maybe why the stuff that's going to happen over the next 40 chapters happened. Uh, let's go to Genesis 15, starting at verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Is Egypt their land? Aha! So God's pretty smart, huh? Where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. They were there 400 years, and did uh, Pharaoh decide that he was going to enslave them and oppress them? And he says, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Wait till we get to the end of the uh, plagues and stuff, and the Egyptians start giving the Israelites everything. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. So here's a deal. 
God already told Abram that he was going to give him the land. The people were going to go somewhere else. They were going to get comfortable somewhere else. But he was going to have to move them out of where they were in their comfort zone so that they can begin to be where God wanted them to be. This is the challenge of us with, the, with, with you know, our being here and God wanting to move us there. Because one of the perceptions that the Israelites had that I think so many of us have here in America, especially in America, is that they, their perception was comfort and security is of more value than God's purpose. Let me say that again. Comfort and security is of more value than God's purpose. I know we're supposed to be in Canaan, but I really like Egypt. I know you want us to go to Canaan, but, but man, the Nile is so fertile and the soil is so fertile. I know that you want to, but all my kids are here and all my family's here. But I know you, but I, don't we do that all the time? One of the challenges of being comfortable and having it made and being somewhere where we just like where we are is that we become less and less concerned about what God really wants because we kind of like what we have, right? Why mess it up? If it ain't broke, don't fix it, God. This is a good thing we have going on. And God is telling the Israelites, you know, um, have something much bigger than what you are experiencing right now. And typically, if God wants us to move out of something, he has something better that he wants us to move into. So often, we're, we're like the, the, the little kid that, that has a nickel and we're just holding on to the nickel and he says, well, just give me the nickel because I have this $100 bill I want to give you. But you can't take it if you're holding on to the nickel. And it won't let go of the nickel. And we're, we're running around holding on to this nickel and God goes, man, if you just let go, I have all kinds of stuff I want to give you. But our perception is that, man, this is way better. I don't know. I don't know if I want to let go of this in order to have the purposes that you have for me. And so we don't move forward with what God wants us to do. And one of the things I want us to begin to understand, because I don't know if, if, if you guys are like this, but I've read this book a bunch of times. And, and, you know, my perception when I read Exodus is the Israelites are just a bunch of knuckleheads. You know? It's like, come on, you guys, how could you not get this? And as I've been reading it, I'm realizing, man, they're not knuckleheads. They're just like us. You know, they're just like us. I mean, look at, man, we, we just love where we're at. We're comfortable. I mean, the air conditioning. Why would I want to go out in 100 degrees and, you know, love people out there? And they're ornery anyway. And, you know, I just, I just, like, I just like doing what I'm doing. And, and, and the Israelites were people who loved God and wanted to walk with God. They loved God, and they, want, they knew they were his children. They knew that they were his chosen nation. They knew that God had a plan for them. Their, their challenge was is they couldn't get out of their own way a lot of the times because they had these deep-seated perceptions that God's word wasn't able to penetrate. I mean, let's look at the, the, the last part of Exodus 1 and, and just see what kind of people the Israelites were. And, and this is... Um, you know, this is just a couple of ladies. And, and I, my guess is that if there was a couple of ladies that were like this, there was a whole bunch of other people that were like this in this, in this nation. So starting with verse um, 15. Yeah, let me get into Exodus, you know. Okay, here we go. 15. 
Then the king of, king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Pua. And he said, now listen, this is the king of Egypt. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't, you know, if you can get around to it, if you think it's a good idea, could you mind doing this? This is like, you're going to do this, right? I'm the king of Egypt. You don't do this, you know, bad things could happen to you. Okay, we with you. This is, this is not a suggestion. This is the king of Egypt talking to a couple of ladies. And he says when, in verse 16, when you're, when you're helping the Hebrew woman to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then he shall live. Okay, now it's easy for us to read that and, and not get the implications of what he's saying. This is the king of Egypt telling these women they needed to do something. This is the most powerful man in the known world. Okay? I know you. I know your family. I know everything about you. I'll make things bad on you if you don't do this. And so here's what the midwives did. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Does that sound like somebody's a knucklehead? God, I'm going, well, God, I guess you're right. <laughs> I mean, this is somebody who really feared God and wanted to do what was right and walk in obedience to God. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So that's great. So God, so listen to this. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. This is how, this is how Exodus starts. So man, God slapped me across the head and says, they're, they're not knuckleheads, you knucklehead. These are people that love me and serve me. Our challenge is that sometimes we love God and we serve God, but because we have stuff that we aren't recognizing that's going on inside of us, we just do things that we really would rather not do. And we can't help ourselves because we haven't taken the process of changing those perceptions so that we're basing them on truth. And we're beginning to walk in obedience based on truth, not lies. What a great life. It's going to be as we get through this and we really begin to do what's necessary to make those changes. And I'm going to tell you that, that, that the foundation of knowing God's purposes, promises, and preparation is right here. And so when there's opportunities to grow in this, where you're sharing with people and we're able to dig in and we're able to, to work through stuff, like at a grace group, like at a men's Bible study, like at a women's Bible study, like on Sunday morning. This is so much better than the Seattle Seahawks or the LA Rams or the Dodgers or any, anything else that's on on Sunday morning, guys. And, and there's, you can record the stupid thing and you can fast forward through commercials. Could it get any better than that? <laughs> Come on. But I want to see it live. Oh. Okay? God wants to do a miraculous thing in us as we move forward. I want to close with one New Testament passage. In Luke 4. And I want it just to be an encouragement to us. 
you know, as Jesus came and he started his ministry, we're going to start actually um, at verse 14. Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding districts. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives to, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Jesus came, and he says, my purpose of why I'm coming is so that I can preach the gospel to the poor. And, and, and when you read the Beatitudes, he talks about the poor in spirit, the people that need to hear the truth of the word, the people that need to be filled because, because they don't have the spirit that, that, that can be filled. And he says, he says to, um, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. That's what Jesus came for. And you guys know that, that we have been set free. Our eyes have been opened. We realize that we are sinners and we're separated from Christ. And because we're separated from Christ, we need to receive that gift that was given to us. God is a righteous judge and he's going to judge us righteously. And there's no way we're going to work good enough, be good enough, behave good enough to get eternal life. We know that's true. Jesus came and opened our eyes and helped us see that. He came to see that we are captives. We are captives to sin and death and he set us free for that. There is no more sin. There is no death that has reigned over us. That, that's the reality of our life. And here's the challenge in that, is that too many of, of us are still captive to stuff that we shouldn't be captive to. There's too many of us who think that it is better for me to spend time getting drunk because that makes me feel better than it is for me to be set free. And so they become addicted to stuff that they shouldn't be addicted to. Or there's some drug that they could take. Or there's something that they can turn on on their, on their, their computer that makes them feel better, that, makes, that fills that void. I mean, we're still captive to stuff that we should not be captive to because we're allowing the perceptions that we have that says this will make me feel better and God won't. And we begin to do things that are destructive. We're destroying our families. We're destroying our lives. We're destroying our marriages. We're destroying our careers over stuff that's created by lies of the enemy that we buy into and we behave accordingly to. Amen. And here's the deal. We're in a world full of that. And we have our lights stuck over with some basket so nobody can see it. Because our perception is, oh, if they know I'm a Christian, they're not going to like me or they're going to say something about me or maybe they're going to ask me a question I don't know. I... <sighs> you know, God is going to use us for an amazing purpose and Jesus has set us free to, to be a powerful influence in a world that's dying and we get to do that. So can you tell I'm excited about the next five weeks? I tell you, it's going to be good stuff. And if you come here alone, shame on you. Bring somebody with you. I mean, this is stuff that is going to set people free. And we're going to watch as a, as a nation of Israel goes on this pilgrimage. And the challenges that they have as they're going down the path, trusting God. 
And because of the challenges, it's always, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, it's like, you ever been on a trip with your kids? It's like, yes, we're going to be there soon. God has a, has a plan that he's going to do in us. And as we go through this, he's going to allow us to learn how to trust him. And we will get there. You know, it's going to be great when we stand at the throne. And we go, are we there yet? Yes, you're here. <laughs> yes. But for now, he has a purpose for each one of us. And each one of us has been created uniquely with our gifts and abilities that we get to use to, to fulfill the eternal purpose that God has for us. And by the way, this is the only time that we're going to be able to do that. Because when, when, we, get, when we get to glory, there is not going to be a whole lot of lost people up there. At least if I'm reading the Bible right. So if you want to impact the world, and if you want to impact lost souls, and if you want to impact eternity, this is the time to do it. This is the time that God has given us to do it, and he's going to put people in our place, and he's going to equip us and prepare us to do the things that he wants us to do to get from here to there. And that is really, really good news, and I'm excited about it. So let's pray together.